Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, May 9, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Minneapolis-based R&B, rock, soul, pop, and funk singer-songwriter Mae Simpson. Mae Simpson has been shaking up Minneapolis ever since her band formed in 2017 performing on larger and larger stages to a growing base of loyal fans across the Midwest. Led by her powerful vocals, the seven-piece band brings audiences to their feet with driving horns and a drum and percussion duo. The Minneapolis-based singer-songwriter weaves elements of funk, soul, pop, rock, and country into her sound. May and her bandmates leave it all on the stage. Their high-energy show creates a powerful connection with the audience. Hailing originally from South Carolina, May has been passionate about singing and creating music for as long as she can remember. Her broad and soulful voice and deep well of creative energy are complemented by the musicianship and passion of the band. The band has released two EPs, Feel It Coming in 2018 and Did You Make It Back in 2020. A full-length album is set to drop in the fall of 2023. Her raspy, dynamic voice is larger than life, said Helen Teague of Minnesota Public Radio but not as large as her uncontainable energy that radiates from the stage. Simpson has opened for acts including Dermot Kennedy, Carl Denson's Tiny Universe, Robert Clay, Ike Riley, Langhorn Slim, Rubble Bucket, and Pert Near Sandstone. She has performed multiple times on the iconic First Avenue Main Room, the Fillmore in Minneapolis, the Basilica Block Party, 
live on King Street in Madison, Wisconsin, and the Blue Ox Music Festival. If you are a fan of artists like Alabama Shakes, Lake Street Dive, and Bruce Springsteen, May Simpson is right up your alley. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, May Simpson. Hello, May. Hi, how are you? I'm great, and it's really great to talk with you. Uh, you know, I've been looking forward to having you as a guest and learning more about uh, what's going on in music in your neck of the woods and more about you and your band and and uh, what you guys are uh, up to. So uh, it's really super to, to be able to talk with you. One of the things I'm always interested in, and I probably ask this in one way or another of every guest I have, is uh, I'm always interested in their origin story, their genesis, if you will. Uh, so who or what turned you on to music? You know, that's a great question. Um, my mom did. Um, you know, she comes from a musical background. My grandfather uh, was a bluegrass musician. Um, and she always used to sing Patsy Cline to me. And then at some point she made me watch Bruce Springsteen videos all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was definitely mom who got me turned on to music. And, you know, she's an incredible singer herself and just has that really bluesy, soulful voice. And I think it just kind of carried over with me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been listening to, you know, Tina Turner, Bruce Springsteen, mm -hmm. Patsy Cline, all those classics and um, kind of found my way falling into that kind of soul um, vocal style. Uh, but definitely mom. No, oh, OK. Well, that's that's really cool that she would be she would be the one. And and that's an interesting mix of artists. I mean, uh, I and I, I although I mean, not dissimilar i mean patsy klein kind of always associated with that uh country politan sort of sound that was uh integrating into country music in the late 50s and into the early 60s but you know when uh she would sing um uh crazy or uh which was written by willie nelson or uh, you know any of those i mean you're right there was a certain uh soulfulness in her sound yeah that uh, was kind of uh, unique to be coming out of, uh, well, a person like herself. You might expect yeah. that from a Ruth Brown, or you might expect it from, uh, you know, any of the African-American performers who were, who were, who were big. Uh, oh, one, another one that uh, uh, I was just thinking, oh, and then the name escaped me. I know she was known as the queen of the jukeboxes. It'll probably come back to me and we're in the middle of something else, but you know, those kinds of singers. And then, and then, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen, who is sort of heralded in the mid eighties as kind of the savior of American rock and roll, because we're coming in off the heels of disco and, and uh, a lot of English dominated uh pop rock stars like Elton John and and uh, Rod Stewart and, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing but there certainly is well, that's a the cool thing about it yeah that's the cool thing about it just because you actually see that dynamic in my music and in our music May Simpson music mm -hmm. whereas you know you have that Patsy Cline soul influence but also that's kind of that country alt right and then mm -hmm. you go into Tina Turner, who's not that at all. And then the Bruce Springsteen, who's not that at all. So it's mm -hmm. just the dynamics of my band, I think, are influenced also by my past 
and going through those different genres and experiencing the music in that way. You think it would be fair to say if we just if we looked at an artist like Bruce Springsteen or Patsy Cline or yourself, for that matter, that instead of trying to label it as country, R&B, soul, uh, just calling it American music? I think I think that's a fair assessment, because, look, you can pick out so many genres in my music. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. And. And there's no pinpoint. You just can't pinpoint what we're doing. And I have so many times people ask me what my genre is and, and there's no answer. There's no answer. It's by song. So I think yeah. that's fair. I think, I think I would agree. I, I hadn't listened to it before today, but I finally got around to listening to, uh, oh heck now, now I'm forgetting your new single, your newest single. Goodbye. And, yeah, goodbye. uh, uh, yes. And, I was going, wow, this sounds like she's playing with a salsa band almost, you know, it has kind of a Latin sort of feel or sound uh -huh. to it. And uh, uh, I thought, uh, yeah, goodbye. I, I mean, that's the way it came across to me. Whereas, and you know, it's perfect, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when I'm listening to uh, uh, like your 2020 album, uh, you know, which I've been listening to a good deal, I definitely hear a lot of that. Uh, uh, sort of Janis Joplin, Tina Turner kind of kind of sound uh, in your voice and in what the band is doing. So it's it's uh, it's really really great. I I guess I think about these cross currents in uh, American music, if if we could call it that. Uh, I had my head opened up when I was in Memphis uh, about five six years ago, and my wife and I were there, and I uh, we went to the Rock and Soul Museum which is about two blocks off of Beale Street. And in there, you you basically see this incredible melting pot of different kinds of music that came together in Memphis. And then you think about what's come out of Memphis. I mean, we had everything rockabilly to, to stacks, you know, soul to, to uh, uh, real hardcore blues. I mean, you know, Helen Wolf originally recorded at Sun Records. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and, and I and I, of course, being an academic, I always like to ask why. So I was looking at a map and I it made perfect sense. Memphis is right there on the Mississippi River, number one. And number two, it's not that far from Clarksdale, Mississippi. And yeah. and 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 a lot of those other areas of Mississippi that produce so many great, uh, uh, you know, uh, blues, R&B you know, you name it, musicians, and then how that infused with uh, like uh, the country musicians and so forth that were, were kind of recording there. So it's, it's a, I, I guess, you know, when I used to teach to my students, I used to say like, you know, American music is like a, a Reese's. You take two different great flavors and you combine them together and you get an even better flavor, you know, that's yeah. better, better than peanut butter or chocolate, but peanut butter and chocolate together. I like and that. I, I like that I, a lot. Well, and I hear that in you and your music, too. So I, that's why I revert back. Maybe we should just call it American music. I don't know. I mean, I like that. I wish that everybody else would do something like that. I, You know, when you see your name and you have to list it and you got to go on Spotify and you got to pick a genre and it's just like, this is killing me because, you know, I'm not just making uh, music for one particular crowd of people and I'm not going to limit my listeners, um, you know, and, and in reality that can turn people away. 
if you're yes, listed as R&B and somebody doesn't like R&B, well, we have a song like Monsters and that's definitely Americana. So, mm-hmm. you know, there goes that single idea of doing singles and making sure you're putting those singles out, your tags that people are going to search for them for. Um, but that's the trouble when you go to release an album, a full length album, which we will be releasing in fall. Um, is that again, doesn't have, has many genres. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Well, and that's, and that's, and that's actually, I think if we want to point a finger that we have to blame the recording industry and marketing because they like yeah. to know who's buying what, and they have to have labels so that they, they have a way of identifying who the audience is so that they can have a, a, a you know, charts or you know of the hits and knows what's working and what isn't and radio stations uh used to that's not the way it is anymore of course and you would you know chart how often a particular record played in a particular part of the country and all that kind of stuff but uh i get right back to it and it's like i i listen to a lot of music for the 1920s and i i just don't differentiate a whole heck of a lot between when i'm listening to say jimmy rogers versus when I'm late, you know, later, you know, listening to a, a blues artist of that similar time, a Charlie Patton or, a, or, a, you know, one of those kind of, you know, it's, it's just that the record industry decided to put a label on it based on race and, and area of the yeah. country you lived in and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, well, and I okay. think that honestly deserves a, some a new attention, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, yeah, you have to track all these things, but it does deserve new attention. There's many different styles out there and there's many different ways that uh, an album can read and singles can read too. So maybe yeah. one day they'll end up changing that. Well, it'd be nice if we could get to that. You know, uh, I always liked what the jazz musician Miles Davis did in the early seventies. He took the label jazz off of his albums and instead he put new directions in music. That's what he called his work. He says, I don't want to call it jazz. He said, that's what I played back in the forties. You know, what I'm doing today is is new directions in music because he was fusing all kinds of different different things. But anyway, well, I don't even know if we need to address the next question that I had, because I think we've already covered. I was going to ask you about your musical DNA and who you consider part of it. But I think we've pretty much smashed that to uh, the point. Unless there's anything you want to add that we haven't talked about. Uh, you know, I mean, just some familiar names is like, you know, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, Tedeschi Trucks. Brandy Carlisle. But again, if you listen to their music, they're pushing all mm-hmm. sorts of genres as well. So I think we, I think we got that one. Mm-hmm. Did you say St. Paul and the Broken Bones? Yes. I love them too. I have never them. heard of that group. I am going oh, to listen to them as soon yeah. as we conclude this interview. That's they're great. so good. They're That's amazing. a great name for a band too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm interested in uh, maybe, you know, moving on and knowing more about the other musicians in your band. Could you kind of tell us a little bit more about each of them and and what they bring to your group? Yeah, uh, I'll start with Yogi or Jorgen Watkins. So he is um, my guitarist, but he also writes really well. And if you actually, Turs was written by Jorgen. So Jorgen came to me one day and he had this song that he really liked and he played it for me and I said I don't want to change a thing I'm going to keep it just like that I'm going to sing it the way that I would sing it um and he's an incredible writer um but also obviously an incredible guitar player as well he just brings a lot he's like my right hand uh, when it comes to doing a lot of writing and feeling out for songs um Aaron as our drummer Aaron Silverstein uh, he 
is like my heartbeat. He knows how to capture emotion, which is really something that I really need as a drummer that is going to be my heartbeat. I have to mm -hmm. feel what you're doing and mm -hmm. we have to be on the same page. And he's just so good at understanding the emotion that I'm trying to capture. Um, then we have uh, Romy Rome, Ricardo. He's our percussionist. I mean, I got he's my day one A1. I absolutely love him. He is that stage presence that is right up there with me. If you're noticing me, you're going to be noticing him. And he puts that everything out there every single time. And he comes up with these rhythms that sometimes you don't think are going to fit in that kind of style of a song, but somehow manages to fit it in there perfectly like a glove. So um, it's just amazing. Uh, Paul Peterson is our trumpet player. He is like the wise person, <laughs> I would say. He's just mm. all about numbers. Um, and he's just, he brings that old school flavor, I feel mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. He knows how to write horns that really capture what the song is about mm -hmm. and is able to play some. He, he also works on sometimes, in some cases on our new album, he worked on uh, a specific verse for mm -hmm. different vocals to be layered on top of each other mm -hmm. so i'm really excited for people here but you know he wrote that line and he's just really incredible at doing that and then mm -hmm. we have snowman who's our saxophone player um he's incredible if you've ever heard him in other projects he's just incredible um impeccable sound he's very imaginative and creative he is producing our album that we will be releasing in fall and just what he does he just understands who we are and what we're trying to put out there on a next level scale. And he just knows so much about music. He's been in the game for gosh, 30 years and just smashes it on the producer side. But then you got to think at his sax play. I mean, it's just incredible. I simply mm -hmm. believe he is the best saxophone player that I've ever heard in my life. And that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's my guys. <laughs> you know, it sounds, sounds like a really great bunch of people to work with, uh, which almost really you're talking, the way you're talking about it really, again, leads me to look at the next question I was going to ask you and say, it would be redundant for you to answer. I guess I can figure that it's, the way you work with these other guys, that er, a lot of everything you do on the overall, overall sound and all your product on your recordings and everything is very much a collaborative effort. It 100% is. Now, as far as the writing goes, that can switch from how we do it. Um, depending on if I'm bringing the song in or if, mm -hmm. or if I'm bringing the bare bones in, but in general, this is a collaborative 100%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we all bring each other to a certain playing field where we're all expected to really throw down and we all really do. And we do it together. You know, I love working like that. I love with my groups. I, I you know, I don't necessarily bring in any original material, but I'll write arrangements and, um, uh, and I'll bring it in. And one of the, one of the people in the band will say, Hey, how about if I play it this way, instead of what you've written there, I said, well, let's listen to it. Cool. Let's stick with it. You know, just write over what I yeah. wrote and to keep doing it that way. I like that sound better. Or 
somebody will say, maybe we should do another repeat of that section, you know, instead of just mm -hmm. twice through maybe three times. Yeah, let's do it. So I love working that way. And it sounds like that's what you have as well. Uh, that well, everybody... you also got to think about like, you know, it's not a one person show. Like a lot right. of people will see, you know, my energy and they will think, oh, may, 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 but it's really all of us and everybody sees that energy. And so it's super important for me to acknowledge that and know that, that we did this together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what people see when we're on stage is that they know that, that this is a team thing that we're doing and everybody pulls their weight. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, you've brought it up and I always believe that if you catch it, you should clean it. So let's talk about the new album or as much as you can talk about without having to kill me. What can you tell <laughs> us about? <laughs> well, you've, you've heard that old line, you know, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm curious to know, cause you're talking about a new album coming out this fall. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us more about it. What, what's the material going to be like? How is it going to be similar or different from your previous efforts? All that kind of good juicy stuff that you, whatever you could share. <laughs> Let me see what I can share here. Um, uh, yes, we are having a, a brand new debut album. Um, so it's a full length debut album. And that's going to be coming out in fall. I'm not sure of the exact date. I can't tell you that yet. Okay. You're going to see a lot. It is truly a journey. And it's like our other albums in a sense of you're going to get a whole lot of stuff. But this one's a little bit more packaged up to where it's really following a story. It's really following a, an actual real journey of emotions, of feelings, of passion, and maybe just someone's life. Not necessarily ours, not mm -hmm. necessarily yours, but it's a true journey. So I can tell you that you're going to get a lot of hard-hitting horns. You're going to get a lot of that funk, that rock and roll, um, but you're also going to get pulled back into, I have never heard May Simpson do that kind of a sound before. And you're going to get pulled back into that Americana lane too. Um, there's just so, it's really in depth what we're doing for this album. Mm -hmm. We're so excited to share it with everybody. Uh, I can go ahead and tell you, nope, I can't tell you that. Nope. Okay. Can't do it. Not quite yet. <laughs> well, that's okay. I understand that the you know what you can and can't share. I just I'm just interested in whatever information you can give us. I mean, so what you have told me so far though is that it is in a sense a concept album. Well, but maybe not like Sgt. Pepper or Dark Side of the Moon kind of concept album, but at least it's telling stories. Here's what I here's what I would say. I want it to be a concept album. If the listener wants it to be a concept album. Oh, okay. And if the listener does not want that to be a concept album, I want it to be their interpretation. Okay. And so... I think the reason I do that is just because songs can mean a million di different things to a million different people. Right. I don't like writing in the way of like, here's the story and this is what we're going to do. But I like giving the emotion to it. There's an emotion behind these songs that creates a story for you. And I do think for each person that's individual feeling. Mm, that sounds like a really cool idea because it's uh, you can have interdependency or you can have each of the songs dependent upon each other and exactly. a matter of perspective. So when it comes out, I will try listening to it both ways. 
and see exactly. how it hits for me. That sounds like a really great idea. Well, yep. that's awesome. That's awesome. Did uh, did you record the album in the in the Twin Cities? Yeah, we went over to the Hideaway. Okay, and we also recorded uh, with a dear friend, Tom Garneau, who used to do some recording with Prince. Um, and so the Hideaway, and then at Tom Garneau's place, and we finished it up. And now, right now, it's in the mastering stage now. So we're getting there. Good for you. Good. Good. Okay. Well, then let's talk about some other things then uh, about uh, maybe more philosophical and you can relate them to the new album if you want to or not. I'll give you that option. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I uh, have always looked at, you know, history and the ancient Greeks always claimed that the purpose of tragedy and drama was to serve as an emotional catharsis for people. I mean, you could watch, you know, Oedipus Rex and go, oh my gosh, he just, you know, stuck pins in his eyes, you know, kind of thing, and go through all that without actually experiencing the pain. Uh, and you could, uh, you know, kind of feel that kind of cleaning out, if you will, oh, I got that off my shoulders from watching that, you know, what of these people going through on stage. So when we think about your songs, uh, as far as an aesthetic purpose, uh, do you look at your songs to provide an emotional cleansing for your listeners? Or are you just simply serving as an observer of, of cultural trends and making a personal commentary? I love this question. I think it's super creative and I appreciate you for asking it. Okay. Um, I think it's an emotional cleanse. I mean, okay. we've always been that super soulful it's a huge reason why people kind of gravitate to us and it's that feeling on stage. I believe people can feel the sense of that from happy pop songs to tension filled, painful songs. People feel that they feel exactly what you're putting out. They, they feel it when they're just listening to the recording and they're feeling it when you're on stage expressing that emotion. Um, I think driving that with something so bare on stage or within the music, it's not just a song anymore. It's an emotional revelation. It's something that's digging at you, pulling at you, lifting you up. But I do think it's more than just a song. I mean, mm -hmm. I really truly believe that. Um, so I'm going to go with the the first answer to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's an emotional cleansing. I feel like people well, would say that about our shows for sure. You know, I, I often have, uh, when I've taught, of course, I've taught, uh, music courses at the university level for non-music majors and and uh, so people with little little or not a whole lot of musical background necessarily and and so I generally gravitate and talk about art in general and we get talking about the purpose of art whether it's, you know of course focused on music if for nothing else is to get you to stop and think differently about a particular uh, situation or or you know something that is being relayed to you via not just lyrics, but also the uh, impact of the instrumental accompaniment. Um, you know, the great, uh, the Italian composer, Claudio Monteverdi, he was from way back in the early 1600s, maybe even said it before that, but he was, you know, one of the earliest developers of opera, one of the most musically dramatic, uh, you know, art forms that we know. And he, he would say that the music is the mistress 
to the lyrics. You know, that yeah. the idea is that the instrumental part is supposed to heighten the emotion, the impact, the zing, pow, you know, right to the kisser kind of kind yeah. of uh, a thing. So, you know, and I love to do that with with uh, with pieces that we do in my bands. And yeah. so like one of the one of the one of my bands, we do uh, St. James Infirmary and I okay. sing it and I sing it. Because okay. I love the song. <laughs> so I always tell the band, I wrote into the arrangement, a really hard hit right after the first, I went down to St. James in, no, I went down, bop, to St. James Infirmary. Because I felt yeah, like, yeah. yeah, when you guys give that big hit, it makes the audience shut up and pay attention, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that kind of stuff. So that's, that's, that's really cool. I, uh, I'm very much going to look forward to uh, your your new recording and and continue to listen to your other recordings that are already available and really kind of go go with that in mind because I I too believe all music is has some emotional content as much as you choose to put in it you know yeah but uh, anyway well let's uh, kind of switch gears for a bit. And uh, like I said, I haven't been to the Twin Cities for a good while, but uh, could you talk a little bit about the music scene up the, up there? And where, where might yeah. we typically hear you perform on a visit up north? Of course, it's up yeah. north for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the city is vibrant. Amazing musicians here, amazing artists in general here. And I, I feel like truly pushing some boundaries. Um, Minneapolis Sound is kind of always been kind of set already but I feel like the new the newer people that are coming in the newer artists that are coming in are kind of making really great new unique sounds as well um it's just there's so many great artists here that I feel like we don't get seen I think this is about midwest in general mm -hmm. there are so many great artists that are just kind of going unseen and mm -hmm. it takes a while to break open in that scene we were lucky enough to break open in the scene in Minneapolis about four years ago. Um, and it's been going great ever since we've been keeping people's attention. And I think that's what you have to do. You have to keep mm -hmm. their attention and keep them wanting more and mm -hmm. give them something new every time. Mm -hmm. um, most likely to see us at first Avenue. Uh, we play the Basilica turf club, Dakota house mm. hook and ladder and the crap ton of festivals. Um, just kind of depends on when and where we're going to be. This year is mm -hmm. going to be a really busy year. So we'll definitely be out and about at some different festivals here in Minneapolis. Um, yeah, kind of everywhere. And we're not just stuck in Minneapolis. We're, we're out right. in Wisconsin. We're going on tour in April. Um, so it'd be great. Well, you know, and that leads that leads uh, to a couple of things. Uh, one, as I, I uh, agree, I hear a lot of great music coming out of the Twin Cities. I mean, even the even the the Minnesota Orchestra is like really running on all eight cylinders, putting out some great recordings, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, the, uh, the the chamber orchestra and uh, that, that sort of things on the classical side. And uh, I've heard about the Dakota, a lot of good jazz artists that have performed oh, and yeah. record up there yeah. and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, it's a very vibrant. I also uh, have the pleasure of, of, uh, communicating a lot with Chris Nelson, who's a trombonist and also, uh, an arranger for a group 
up in the Twin Cities called Hornheads, and they were they were actually oh, Prince's Prince's Horn section uh, back in the day, and then they had this side project called Hornheads, and uh, I love uh, his arranging, and I I communicate with him by some of his charts now and then, and so it's it's nice to know that that's uh, going on. But yes, you are getting out into Milwaukee because I checked on your website. And I see that you are going to be in Milwaukee on April 6th at Anodyne. Uh, I have, I have never played there, but I have been there and it's a, it's a big old uh, converted, uh, that is, if I'm remembering the right place, converted uh, warehouse, or it's kind of in, you know, a part of Milwaukee where there was a kind of an industrial part and they've, they've repurposed a lot of buildings, old warehouses and, and uh, factories and so forth into housing and nightclubs and stuff like that. So you're nice. going to be there on April 6th. Unfortunately, I can't come. I've got a gig that night. So, well, dang it. Come afterwards. Yes, I know. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish you could. And then you're going to be at the High Noon Saloon in Madison on the 8th. Yeah. And uh, that's, I've never played there, but I've heard that's a really fun venue too. So you've, you've not yeah, played there before. Yeah. yeah, you're, you're going to, you know, you're getting around a, a, a good deal. And I also noticed a number of other uh, locales and so forth on your website. And I would tell my listeners, yep. just check out May Simpson's website. You get where they're playing at a locale near you. But what I'd like to ask you, uh, aside from, you know, giving that promotion is, how are you finding audiences for live music in our post-COVID environment? I think they're ready. I think they're ready to be out and about. I think people are hungry for music, um, hungry for life, you know, uh, to put it simply. Uh, the crowds have been really great. And the places that we have gone where, you know, there's been some uncomfort, people are masked up. And I think that that's super okay with us. Um, but from what I can tell you from all the shows that we've had as of right now, we just played two nights or two shows at the Coda on Saturday. Um, everybody's in great spirits. We filled the rooms and it just feels like people are ready to understand that there's still some reason for being cautious. And at the same time, going out, having a good time, experiencing live music, which honestly is uh, what I'm really excited about is being able to perform again. Because having that year and a half mm -hmm. block of not, wow, it can mm -hmm. uh, really change you. And I'm glad it didn't change us. It was also a really nice reminder to slow down every now and then, because you don't do that as a musician. Mm -hmm. So you had to just remind you to slow it down a little bit, get everything in order. But as far as everyone else, I think that it's been a very warm, welcoming vibe from everywhere mm -hmm. we've been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I think I, I that's been my experience in the, in the gigs that I've been playing, uh, particularly since the first of the year, first of this year, is mm -hmm. people really seem to be uh, hungry, avid to get out and uh, and listen to live music again uh, from after all the streaming and so forth. And uh, but I, it's like you so were talking about earlier and, and maybe one of the positive outcomes of the pandemic was my creation of my podcast. That's what that's the reason I created this podcast, because I wasn't doing any gigs. I wasn't going to any rehearsals, nothing. Right. And yet right. I still had to interact with people who were in music. You know, I just yeah. I just missed that so much. Just talking to people that 
that <clears throat> you know have a mutual understanding of what music means and 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 its importance and the other that uh, element that you hit on there is an awful lot of great talent not just in the midwest but in nashville memphis new york yeah. la chicago that nobody's heard of yeah and so that's why one of the uh one of the criterion that i have for wanting to search out and have a guest on my show is if i've never heard of you then i want you on my show because i want to hear about you and i want others to hear about you and that's yeah, that's, I think that's great. and that's really kind of what's what's at the heart i i would make i would make no headway i would contribute nothing if i had taylor swift on <laughs> she doesn't need me yeah that's true you know and and maybe other people don't either but i think like i i like to think that at least by uh providing some kind of forum to to uh put you know kind of bring notice to some my listeners hey there's this wonderful singer who's from the twin cities and you should check her out her name's may simpson you know that sort of yeah. thing then I feel like I've I've uh, contributed and made something happen, and so that's uh, that's uh, and it's, it's people like you that are out there searching for something that they haven't heard yet. Mm -hmm. It really keeps that local scene going and brewing, and you know, making headway because you need somebody that just runs across your website, runs across your song, and then reaches out and then plans an interview. You know, I've had so many many interviews, but you don't say no, you know, you're a growing oh, yeah. musician sure. and you need that word to get out there and you need people to care enough to contact you and set up those interviews. And I super appreciate you. Well, that's quite all right because I, I kind of feel like it's a, it's a goal driven mission of mine to, because I, first of all, I'm a music educator, alpha and omega. I mean, that's been my life's work. And if I can educate the rest of the world more about musicians and music that might be uh lesser known all the better but i mean i it's like i think about the number of musicians that i've interviewed that are in nashville and they're just mm -hmm. waiting for that breakthrough they're just waiting for that you know how to have a have the song that just clicks and uh, yeah. to, to get like a, a major recording contract or something you know and they're really really good I mean, really good, wonderful stuff to listen to, but they just haven't been discovered yet. And I've met uh, the other thing I've, I've just met the nicest people. I think music people are just the nicest people. I haven't had anybody who's been, who has uh, come across with any kind of negative vibe. And uh, well, I take that back. I had one, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's you're, that's you're, Tell me another time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, May, let's switch gears again and kind of go take take a look back through your past. What's been some of your most memorable musical experiences? Uh, I think Blue Ox 2022. Um, okay. If you've never heard of Blue Ox, it's a bluegrass festival. Uh, but we played at the bluegrass festival. And we didn't know how many fans we were going to have there. But we played the side stage and it was just a sea of people that came out to see us. I mean, thousands. And they were all singing our song back to us. Wow. <laughs> and that was like one of the moments that, you know, was bringing tears to my eyes because, wow, we really do affect 
people in this way. We really mm -hmm. do bring something that's more than just music. Mm -hmm. And that was probably still to this day, my favorite performance as of right now was Blue Ox. Oh, never been, you should check it out. I should. Where is it? Um, Euclid. I always say that name wrong. I have no idea why. Euclid. Oh, Eau Claire. Eau Claire, Wisconsin? Eau Claire. I oh. always say that wrong. Wow. Yeah, Blue Ox. That's right. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll have to check it out. Well, you also should check out Summerfest in Milwaukee. And you know, I apply to get down here. Then out. Yeah, I uh we'll be we'll be in Wisconsin, but um I don't know if we're gonna be on that one, but I do like the idea of that one. Well, it's the world's largest outdoor music festival. And I know, and have... Well, go ahead. And I, go ahead. I was just going to say, and they, they, it goes on for, you know, 10 days and they have big names, middle oh, names, you know, regional names, local names, all kinds of stuff. Huge, huge deal. Yeah. Well, anyway. You definitely, hey, if you know a guy, let me know. <laughs> I wish I knew a guy, but I don't know a guy. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I sure to... at some point we'll be out there. I've played it once. Oh, many, no, yeah, many, right. many, many, many moons ago. And it was with a chamber orchestra. And, uh, but that's, uh, that's a story for another time. Well, let's shift <laughs> gears just again. I'm interested in your creative process. Mm, when, uh, yeah. what, what typically inspires you to write when you write a song? Uh, that's, hmm. That's a big question, right? Because so well, many yeah. things inspire me. <laughs> okay. Then let me um, narrow it down for you. What inspired you to write the last song that you wrote? Okay, I can go a little bit into that one. Um, the last song that I wrote was me remembering my younger years and okay. and being inspired by the innocence of it all. And now you're a grown adult and you have to do all these things and bills and life. And when you were little, you didn't have that responsibility. And what would it be like to be little just for a day or two? Um that's inspiring. But I mean, lots of things inspire me in the way of my bandmates inspire me. They play some sort of lick in practice and that's inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. um, I have a melody in my head that just won't stop. That in itself is inspiring. Mm -hmm. So I write really, really quick choruses. So I will write a chorus in two seconds. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I'll take that song to the band or that melody. And I'll say, this is the melody for the chorus. I wanted to pop like this, have at it. <laughs> and then they will come up with that whole section of, you know, building that song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I'll write the song and I'll bring it into them and say, Hey, I don't want this to change much. I just want you to create uh, a feeling behind it. Mm -hmm. um, but a simple melody can be inspiring to me. I find a lot of my writings very emotional, mm -hmm. I'm a very emotional writer. And I find that my band is very happy. <laughs> so while I'm sad, <laughs> my band somehow makes it beautiful and happy. And I think that's a perfect, perfect medium for what we need. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I was sharing with my wife over lunch today about, I said, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you that yesterday when I was driving you home, 
from because we had about an hour drive from where we'd been. I says, I had a whole idea come to me. And that's why as soon as we got home, I had to go in the basement and get it down on uh, finale. So I before I forgot it, you know, and it's so always smart. funny because uh, ideas always come to me at the most inopportune moments. You know, I'm either in the shower, in the car, you know, this sort of thing. <laughs> And, uh, and I, I'm not smart enough yet, I guess, to use voice memos. Plus nobody, you know, I, I can't imagine what it sound like if I sang the idea. But, you know, you always you, you hit the nail on the head. You get a melody, you get some idea, musical thinking. It just kind of just kind of cracks in your head and away you go. So that's yep. that's uh, that's really great. Well, all right. Well, May, you know, we're getting down to the end of it because obviously you're writing new stuff. If you've got a new album coming out and I was going to ask you for planning any new recordings and you are, and we've, we've hit all over that. It may, is there anything else that we have not talked about that you would like to add or tell my audience? Um, let's see. I mean, you know what, honestly, just check out May Simpson music, come out to a show when we're near you and, you know, come see kind of what we're all about and just know that we're not just one genre. There's a song for literally everybody. And um, if you're around, just come check it out. I mean, that's all I can really say. And I appreciate you so much for having me. Well, you're, you're welcome. You know, it's interesting the way you describe it. Now, back when I was a kid, there used to be on TV what were called variety shows. Yeah. You know, and every like, you know, Ed Sullivan, Ed Sullivan. And the theory behind that was was that in one hour's time, there's going to be something on that somebody's going to like. And he used to have this yeah. wide variety of entertainment, including the Beatles and Elvis Presley and all that back in those days and, and uh, plate spinners and, and uh, other kinds of magicians and things like that. So, yeah, you know kinda, we should call the album that variety pack variety pack. <laughs> well, there you go. A variety pack. There you go. Or, or a Whitman's, you could call it the May Simpson sampler. You know, or something. There you go. Uh, like, yeah, a, exactly. like a like a like a Whitman sampler of chocolates or something. Well, anyway, like that's it. that's fantastic. Well, uh, I know that uh, you've got to go here pretty quick, May, but I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today, and I want to wish okay. you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future. Well, you again for having me on and thank you for just watching out for new artists that are coming along and and you know giving them a platform i appreciate you well that's quite all right you thanks and you have a great uh great evening absolutely you too all right my discovery composer of the week is leonara duarte baptized in antwerp july 28 1610 she died in 1678. Duarte was a Flemish amateur musician and composer. She belonged to a well-known Antwerp family of rich jewelers and diamond merchants of Portuguese Jewish Marano origin. Her parents were Gaspar Duarte and Catarina Rodriguez, and she had three sisters and two brothers. The Dorote family, residence in the Meyer in Antwerp, was a well-known center for music and the visual arts. The correspondence of Leonora's father and her brother Diego with Constantine Huygens shows 
that there were frequent contacts with the cultural elite of the Low Countries and England, including Huygens, himself, and his sons, Constantine and Christian, and William Cavendish, Duke of Newcastle. In 1644, Nicholas Lanier visited the family when he was in voluntary exile, and in 1653, Anne and Joseph de la Barre paid a visit when traveling from Paris to Stockholm. Of the Duarte children, Leonora, Francisca, who lived from 1619 to 1678, and Diego, who lived from 1612 to 1691, are mentioned most often in connection with family music making. For the family as a whole, performing on the lute, viols, and keyboard instruments was reported. Leonora and Diego are documented as composers. Leonora wrote a set of seven abstract fantasies, one in two parts, for a consort of five viols. They are in late Jacobian style and are called symphonies. Diego set to music various poems by William Cavendish in the 1650s and later the psalm paraphrases of Gaudu, which he dedicated to Huygens. None of these works, probably all for one voice with basso continuo, has survived. The All Music Guide lists only two recordings of Duarte's music, the complete Sinfonias in five parts, and El Paso del Marrojo for voice and continuo. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube video performance of Duarte's Sinfonia No. 4 for five viols performed by Fretwork. That wraps episode number 136. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing the New York City-based big band composer, arranger, and conductor, Erica Seguin. Our interview occurred mere days after the release of her latest album, The New Day Bends Light, recorded by the Erica Seguin Sean Baker Orchestra. We have a wonderful conversation you will not want to miss. Other upcoming interviews include New York City-based jazz trumpet player Anthony Hervey, Jerry Hunt of the Chicago Blues Band, The Dig Three, New York City-based jazz pianist, John Thomas, and New York City-based jazz drummer, Luca Santaniello. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, 
This is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.